Okay, gentlemen, next victim. You killed the husband, but the wife killed you, Turner. In the field, you got to have eyes in the back of your head. And we are back. This is our second episode of Al Film Bet. Uh, I'm Alec. And I'm Sam. And today we're going to be talking about Blue Steel. Yeah, this is this is Catherine Bigelow's 1990 film Blue Steel with Jamie Lee Curtis. Not uh, to be confused with Blue Beetle. Not to be confused with the Very new... Very different movie. The new uh, DC superhero movie Blue Beetle that I don't know a single person who has seen. No, but I also don't know anyone who has seen uh, Blue Steel. Right. Ourselves included. Yeah. No, we, we didn't know this movie existed uh, before this, but I I think we're both pretty glad we watched it. Um, yeah. I, I, I had no uh, experience with Catherine Bigelow. That's not true. I've seen Point Break, which seems to be uh, her most widely uh, popularized film. Really silly. Yeah, for sure. Unless you count The Hurt Locker. Uh, I, I had not seen any Catherine Bigelow movies until Blue Steel. Yeah, obviously her her major critical darlings that have been released are uh, The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, which I, I regrettably have not gotten around to watching it. But after this, I, I definitely I definitely will yeah. at some point. She was uh, actually nominated for Zero Dark Thirty and I believe became uh, the first female filmmaker to ever win an Academy Award with The Hurt Locker in 2008. Her, not her. The Foot Locker. I don't know why I almost said The Foot Locker. Um <laughs> It's a war movie, not a discount shoe shop. <laughs> Moving on from that. Um, Blue Steel was a really early, early effort from Bigelow. It was her third movie. Um, re- relatively small budget. Um, I, I would I would probably classify this as, as a B movie. It's um, Yeah. I, it has uh, that aesthetic. Right. Definitely has that aesthetic. Definitely has that um, early 90s aesthetic, too. Yeah. Which makes sense considering it came out in 1990. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think we know about a theatrical release. I'm assuming it had one. Uh, I believe it did, yeah. Yeah, it, it was released theatrically. Uh, didn't perform especially well. The production studio Vestron Pictures uh, mm-hmm. was set to release it, but they uh, experienced bankruptcy. <laughs> because of this movie? No, not because <laughs> of this movie. Um, but they were going through bankruptcy, so it ended up being released by MGM and was not a box office success. Right. Um, Contributing to... Uh, which well. is which is good for our podcast because uh, our, our, one of our goals from the outset was to find films that are not necessarily well-known huge blockbusters. Exactly. Films offensive hidden gems. Exactly. And, and I, I think I would consider this a hidden gem. Hidden gem, okay. I think so. You, you would go that far? <laughs> I, don't know if we should, I don't know if we should go that far. Um... Maybe I, maybe I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. I mean, okay. but it's definitely, this is definitely um, a hidden movie. Yeah, definitely hidden. And not, not that bad. Uh, and plenty of uh, really great qualities that we will, we will discuss. Our next segment will be highlighting the plot. So obviously, once again, this will be a spoiler warning for Blue Steel, if you're planning on watching. The film begins with Jamie Lee Curtis's character, Megan Turner, training and quickly becoming an NYPD cadet. 
On her first shift, she witnesses a supermarket robbery and ends up shooting and killing the armed suspect. The suspect drops his gun, landing directly next to businessman and witness Eugene Hunt, played by Ron Silver. Eugene secretly takes the weapon and flees the scene. With no gun present on the crime scene, Megan is accused of killing an unarmed man and is issued a suspension. Meanwhile, Eugene has been using the gun to commit murders at random across the city, leaving behind bullet shells with Megan's name carved into them. Eugene struggles with voices in his head telling him he's strong and unique and to kill again. One night, Eugene manages to lure Megan into a taxi with him, and he and a clueless Megan begin dating. Several dates in, Eugene reveals to Megan that he was responsible for stealing the gun at the supermarket robbery and that he is behind the recent killings. Megan arrests Eugene, but he is freed shortly after by his attorney due to a lack of evidence. Megan and her now-ally detective Nick Mann, uh, played by the legend Clancy Brown, work together to attempt to solve the murders and keep Megan's badge. Eugene arrives at Megan's apartment one night and strikes her unconscious while killing her best friend Tracy. That death of the best friend is kind of like a 90s action-slash-horror movie trope. Right. Candyman. Yeah, of course. Megan and Nick confront Eugene once again, but are stopped by his attorney, who threatens to have Megan fired. After Eugene pays a surprise visit to Megan and her parents at their family home, Megan is more determined than ever to put him behind bars. Megan and Nick attempt to catch Eugene in the act of recovering a buried gun, but are instead tricked by him once again, ending in a tense shootout. Exhausted, the pair return to Megan's apartment. Surprisingly, Eugene is hiding out in Megan's bathroom, where he shoots Nick and assaults Megan. After another shootout, Eugene escapes again, and Megan is taken to the hospital. It's like the boogeyman. You can't catch him. <laughs> in her hospital room, Megan overpowers a police guard and knocks him out, stealing his uniform and gun. She lures Eugene into the subway, where they exchange fire, eventually ending up in the middle of Wall Street. Megan is shot in the arm. Eugene runs out of bullets, and Megan manages to run him over with an abandoned car, leading to his arrest. Megan, relieved, injured, and exhausted, is taken to the hospital. It's sort of a weird ending. Um, you think so? I mean, it's, it's the classic 90s uh, culmination shootout, action shootout. Right, and it, 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 it's, but it, it's sort of, maybe I'm thinking in a more modern mm -hmm. trope lens, but let's say this movie was made 20 years later. I think this would end with her... Uh, in the hospital, and as she opens her eyes, Nick is standing over her. So the classic uh, love interest uh, reunited. And you you wish it ended this way? Um, no, I'm just saying if it a, a cheesier way to end it would have been okay. in the hospital together. I, think I, I yeah okay, but but I, I think we we prefer this ending. Yeah, because it's less obvious. It's different. It's, it's and it's more it's more focused on her as a character and her not her her attachment to uh, exactly. To men around her. Right, which is a big theme that we'll go into later. Um, obviously relevant that his name is Man. M-A-N-N. <laughs> M-A-N-N. -N. <laughs> kind of funny. I mean, beginning just at the title sequence, we're getting like incredibly dramatized close-ups of a weapon, right? Right. Uh, the, the whole sequence is um, like, yeah, close-ups of a gun. Close-ups of a gun. And the villain of this movie is is triggered by the presence of a weapon. He, I think the main character is also tormented by the idea of violence and of this gun that keeps on calling to him, even though he's shown to try to like get it away and bury it and hide it. And so I, I think in a way he's being tormented 
by uh, the idea of toxic masculinity mm -hmm. because these voices in his head are constantly telling him you're God, you're strong, you're, uh, you're all powerful, you should continue to cause violence and continue to kill and that's obviously neg negatively affecting him and there's this sequence before he, he really starts killing uh, a lot and it's he, he's attempting to resist. I'm not saying he's the victim, but he's attempting to resist these voices in his head. And so in, in some ways, he is maybe sort of a victim of himself, of his own mental illness. So that's more of a sympathetic lens on, on Eugene. Um, right. If, if someone if we're has looking to at this through the lens of, of mental illness. There's also a certain religious angle with Eugene. I think he, at some point he's reciting, like along with God, God complex, which I guess you can argue is the opposite of religious. He, he, he's quoting some, I don't know if it's Bible verses or, or what, but he's, there are a few lines he has when he's talking to himself where he, th there's, there are some religious references, which I guess can also be. Is it, is it self-righteousness? Is it him, is it him, um, using it, religion as an excuse? As a justification, yeah. Justification, yeah. Justification for his violence. I think that might have been the commentary there. Right. Um, because seen that throughout history, people justifying horrific acts through, uh, religious justification. Actually, right. we're still seeing it. So yeah, U Eugene yeah. loves guns, and guns in this movie are, are 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 sort of a symbol of masculinity. And Eugene is obsessed with them, as well as being mentally disturbed. Yeah. And then inversely, Megan represents woman, in general. Right. Um, and a, and a, it's bad bad battle against misogyny. Right. And and throughout the whole film, there's a a distrust of woman. Uh, especially in this traditionally male role of policing. And so it even gets to the point where she's questioning her, her choice before the her sort of redemption arc. It, it also shows how uh, the frustrations of being a woman when you're surrounded by men. It also shows how it, it shows how women feel and it shows how there's a, a, a struggle for women to be believed by the men around them. Exactly. And so just for pretty much the entire film until the end, when her and Nick Mann are shot at, nobody believes Megan. Nobody's taking her seriously, and they're they're basically using that as an excuse to to get her out of the police force because at that point she is the other. Right. They're looking for every single reason to not trust this woman, uh, to not um, believe her, and right. to reduce her her status that she worked uh, incredibly hard, as we've seen, uh, as we saw at the beginning of the the movie, to achieve. And that's the that's the main thrust of this movie is is the battle against patriarchy right and even i felt sort of annoyed and frustrated by the 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 lack of, of people believing megan just because we know what the truth is but nobody else is believing it that that was sort of frustrating to watch i don't know if you felt the same way oh of course the plot of this movie is is designed to frustrate the audience right which is a great great tactic to sort of show it's what? it's incredibly upsetting to see uh, to see characters like Richard Richard Jenkins, I believe his his lawyer character, who's just so uh, blind and ignorant to 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 reality. It feels right. But that's something else that um, we could touch we could touch on just in terms of the basic plotting of how she's being uh, being gaslit. We'll get into this, but there was a lot of suspension of disbelief in this movie for me. Um, it became a little bit difficult to believe some of the, the, the situations that our, our main character was finding herself in. Even from the beginning, um, they try to frame it as if 
the the burglar of the grocery store was not holding a gun, even though there are many witnesses, including the cashier, who was being held at gunpoint. All right. I guess they didn't have security cameras in the 90s. The lack of security cameras was... <laughs> wait, when... I, that, that would be a good thing to look up. When were security cameras popularized? I feel like they had them. No? Maybe in some places. I'm sure they had them in banks. The lack of prevalence of security cameras um, is one explanation. But it, it, it was a recurring theme throughout this movie, which is which, again, is designed to frustrate you as a viewer. But I guess it was... There was too much disbelief. When Eugene blindsides Megan in her apartment mm-hmm. um, and is holding her at gunpoint, and the police still refuse to believe that he, he was there. Right. Yeah, I feel like it's sort of sort of visualizing certain uh, female fears. Mm-hmm. It, it gets to a point where you wonder how much of this is intended to be taken uh, on literal level and how much uh, it kind of achieves a heightened, surreal, more meta- metaphorical yeah. uh, level because of what this what this movie is talking about. Megan is all woman in, in most situations, but especially in domestic abuse uh, cases where they're being harassed by men. Right. Um, even in this uh, movie, they even that's even a, a, a separate secondary storyline is her father. Right, absolutely, yeah. Her father like abusing her mother. Mm-hmm. It seemed clear to me that Megan grew up in this household and maybe growing up around this kind of masculine or masculinity-fueled violence uh, towards women led her down the path to become a police officer and mm-hmm. fight people like Eugene. Right. And then eventually she she takes control and she actually, uh, or she puts her father in handcuffs and takes him all the way to the station. She doesn't take and... all the way to the station. It's it's obviously a clear ba- uh, 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 internal battle for her. Right, and 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 she eventually she she has to be above her father and basically have him beg for mercy from her, which is sort of flipping the traditional roles. Traditional role, both in a family situation, but also in society. Right, exactly. I wouldn't argue that she's a flawless character either. There are several scenes where she uh, is is taking the role of law enforcement lightly. In my in my perspective, when right. she, there, I guess that's kind of a running thing. We can we can dive into it. But when she is talking with the officer towards the beginning of the movie, right before right before the burglary burglary confrontation, uh, about why she be, decided to become a police officer, <laughs> there is a um, consistent thread of her saying that she she got into policing to kill people, <laughs> and then she says she's kidding, of and course. she's of course she's kidding, but something about the the lack of gravity with which they were discussing taking other taking lives immediately undercut by her having to take a life that I found interesting. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the movie the movie has a lot going on, and it's I don't know it's more than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised this isn't a more popular film. Me too. Like relatively relatively sophisticated commentary. Yeah. So let's move on to more of the visual analysis. It's New York City is portrayed as really uh, dark, on, ominous. It's, I noticed it's almost always nighttime yeah, or raining. That's true, yeah. There's really this, like, yeah, this this really uh, dramatic, dark feel to New York. Very, very nighttime-oriented film. Yeah. Um, helicopter ph- uh, photography 
Mm-hmm. Pretty impressive. Yeah, for the time. For the time, especially. We were joking about how, how much easier it is to get aerial photography <laughs> these days with drones. All right. Um, but they had, to, they had to get a helicopter. Right. I thought it was... There were some shots that looked like film noir. I know you said the same. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of silhouettes. A lot we noticed, of silhouette shots. Yeah, we noticed a uh, uh, prevalence of chiaroscuro lighting uh, silhouettes and uh, excellent use of deep focus as well. What came to mind a little bit in some places, just with this sort of dark, fluorescent, uh, rainy city, was Blade Runner, especially mm-hmm. the first one. Yeah. Just especially, you can also compare it to like, you know, a police officer uncovering, or a police officer working against a corrupt system. Right. Definitely. But, but at least visually, I, I certainly saw some similarities. Definitely. No, I, I like that comparison. And both with some underlying political messages as well. Mm-hmm. Right. I also noticed that I think at the end of the film, it's, it's sort of supposed to be the morning after the events of the night before. And so when it ends, it's sort of, it, it, the, the sun is rising and it's it's day now. Right. Which is sort of, if that was intentional, it's it's pretty obvious, but. And I think was... there is a line somewhere in the movie uh, that uh, someone says, the sun's almost up. Really? So okay. It's like foreshadowing it. Early on in the movie, they there's several shots of a chessboard, mm-hmm. which I liked as far as foreshadowing the the. Meta- metaphorical game of chess between yeah, back and forth yeah kind of the the battle between you know eugene and megan but also with uh between megan and and the corrupt system that she's struggling with throughout the movie and then literally having to go outside of it when she breaks the law and um i mean we've seen this lots of times but but you know having to knock out the police officer and put on his you know mm-hmm. put on his uniform it's kind of like uh zootopia Oh, okay. Have you seen that? That's what I mean. It's kind of a trope. <laughs> it's a little bit of a trope. Have, but... have you seen Zootopia? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Does Judy... that happen in that movie? Judy Hopps? Judy Hopps. Does she have to knock What's out she... a police officer? Oh, no, she is a police officer. She's a police officer, but she's also she's not respected. Her family doesn't agree with it. Oh, so thematically you're comparing yeah, this thematically. movie to Zootopia. Yeah. Okay, I can see it. Nick Wilde, Nick Mann, the unlikely sidekick. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, Jason Definitely Bateman. Intentional. Jason Bateman voices. Oh yeah, the fox. True. Right after, uh, I think it's their second to last confrontation with Eugene, Clancy Brown's character, uh, man, literally man. <laughs> that I... also Eugene Hunt. His last name's Hunt. Right. And he's constantly hunting her. There's yeah. not a whole lot of subtlety in the naming. But on that point. They go back to uh, her apartment. Eugene happens to have be in them there, um, as we find out. Which is pretty random, I thought. But and they're embracing, and it finally feels like uh, there there's some hope for overcoming the the incessant system of patriarchy that has been foreboding in the entire movie. I don't think that that the immediacy of this relationship was uh, was earned. Maybe you know a classic '90s movie embrace and kiss at the end, but. He went from being conveyed as just another one of the misogynistic police officers at the beginning of the movie to helping her. But it's hard to separate that from his attraction to her, I guess, because right. he was repeatedly conveying that instant, too, I thought. Like, one scene, he was one of the guys, and the next one, he was on her side. It just it seems like um, a quick... Flip. For me, 
and I, I understand maybe what Bigelow was going for, but it felt too quick for me. Um, and also on a, on a plot level that she would just be so willing to trust this guy, like right after being in that life or death situation, I guess they, maybe they feel like trauma bond. Yeah. They may, maybe the argument that they're trauma bonded, but it didn't totally click for me that they would, they would immediately, immediately be at that stage. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Do you think we've, t- we've covered Eugene enough, what he represents in terms of male psyche? I think so. We didn't touch on the fact that he was lifting, but or like take exactly lifting, <laughs> lifting weights, working on Wall Street as a, a commodities broker. Lifting weights automatically makes you uh, <laughs> no, but just like Kyle. the the epitome of uh, you know the taken to the extreme of right. Um, it, it's almost it, it's getting close to like parody, to be honest. Just how yeah, how like I mean you could say yeah. You, uh, heightened is the word that I would use. Incredibly uh, heightened. Yeah. Which, okay. which to some could 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 take them out, uh, especially in comparison with the more gritty, realistic aspects that they were going for. Uh, and that might be a good time to talk about the the '90s action movie uh, over dramatification that you you were criticizing. I think uh, mm-hmm. the slow motion and the repeated right. um, shots and just the amount of blood. Actually, I think there were some pretty cool uh, practical effects in here. In terms there of were, but the blood, I mean, the blood so work. much excessive blood. Excessive, yeah. The, I mean, whenever whenever someone died, I mean, you you knew it because they showed it like on instant replay, like three times in slow motion. So in that way, um, in that way, we we maybe see it as encroaching on self parody. Yeah. Um. So it didn't totally didn't totally work. Uh. When you when you look at also the more grounded themes, I feel like there was a bit of a bit of a clash there. Mm-hmm. I, I've also very dramatically just that that last stand, that last final battle, which is sort of common, I guess, but it, it sort of felt like like a superhero movie or something. Well, like, he is he is like super breaks human. out and goes and and just has like a one v one against the villain. Yeah, and. He feels I mean, it really. It goes full action movie in the third act. It really does. He feels very, all subtlety is lost. Inhuman. Yeah. Totally. He does not. Uh, the, I think you said he looks like the Wolverine. <laughs> he does. He looks like the Wolverine, um, bathing in blood. Oh yeah. Screaming. Um, very monster movie. Mm. Like uh, a werewolf. Like a werewolf. Made Where? transformation. So going into this film, I was pessimistic just because it seemed like another dry police chase movie from the 90s. For like the first third, I wasn't really into it. But then I, I really started to enjoy the just the, the uniqueness of Eugene's character. And he, he really seemed unstoppable. So I, I, I genuinely became interested in how he was going to be stopped. And that's when I sort of got into it. And it also, it doesn't... Um, diverge from from the main plot it's it is it's a very tidy story and that makes it a very not necessarily easy but relatively not easy to digest but easy to to watch film okay nice so you liked it i liked it yeah but didn't didn't think it was a perfect masterpiece piece of art no not not because it did not because it didn't do anything wrong It's it's just that it didn't do anything spectacularly didn't blow you away didn't blow me away yeah no i i I feel very similarly. 
I, I think it, I think it was directed well. We mentioned the the cinematography uh, by Amir Mokri, but also Catherine Bigelow. Uh, you can definitely feel her her directorial presence in this movie, both in the themes and then also just some really strong uh, camera choices. Uh, I thought Jamie Lee Curtis was awesome. I know you're a big Jamie Lee Curtis fan. I am a big Jamie Lee Curtis fan. I think uh, similar performance to Halloween, you could argue, uh, especially in the way that she conveyed that kind of repressed rage uh, interspersed with fear um, and, 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 and anger towards, uh, towards society. I want to add something that you mentioned, which was that this, <laughs> this felt like a worse Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, which we, I agree with. It's one of those strong female heroine moments. We did mention that. Um, I, I think the way that Silence of the Lambs handled uh, systemic sexism in the police force was in some ways more subtle and, and in, in some ways more biting. But in the end, as I was saying, the suspension of disbelief just became too great, uh, both starting all the way back at the inciting incident at the grocery store and then all the way through, increasingly so, uh, towards the end. And, and and some people argue that that was the purpose, that it was supposed to be, be supposed to become larger than life in that way. Yeah. Um, but but it just kind of seemed like the movie was trying to have its cake and eat it too, with uh, you know the more grounded political themes and then the heightened, almost supernatural uh, and metaphorical tone, uh, with Megan confronting a, a corrupt uh, system. I just I feel like it didn't totally work mm-hmm. for me. Um, but regardless, it's a very fun, you know, 90 minute 90s action movie. Um, right. Maybe atypical, I would, I would say, mm-hmm. for having a female protagonist and then the themes, which were relevant back then and they are still relevant now, um, which says something. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. my, that's my take on the movie. Strong. Yeah. Um, short. Short. Which is good. I, I feel like it did not overstay its welcome. It didn't always say it's welcome. Anything more, it probably would have. I think it knew exactly how long. I think Bigelow knew exactly how long this movie needed to be. Um, but yeah, it was fine. It was a, a, a very solid 90s action movie. Agreed. So now we're just going to look at a few other uh, reviews and analyses we found for Blue Steel, uh, first from the website Letterboxd, which is more for uh, fan community uh, and um, you know fan critics of films. So uh, this first one is from Joe, who gave the film four out of five stars and um, sort of encouraged uh, looking at the movie through a more heightened uh, horror movie lens. He says, you start thinking about this as a horror movie and of Silver's character as a werewolf. Hunt seems to be a normal person for he... Uh, catches the curse from a tainted soul. He doesn't get it from a bite, but instead from a gun. And before he knows it, he's become enslaved by impulses that he can't control or even understand. Um, and then goes on to say, it's too scary, too loud, too intense, and silver too evil to be a conventionally satisfying action movie. But as a warning against monsters and the curses, guns, masculinity, authority, patriarchy, and so on, that create them, it's indelible. That's amazing. Yeah, that's a great review. I think that is perfectly encapsulating uh, my thoughts on this movie. Yeah, no, I I couldn't have couldn't have said it better. And that's that's sort of what I said about the victim thing, where he's also being tainted by 
uh, those themes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. I love that review. Exactly. So, uh, next one from Letterboxd is Nadine Smith, five out of five. She says, "Bigelow shoots to kill, booming sound effects." Hi- I would say uh, hypnagog. Hypnag. Ready? Yeah. Hypnagogic. Hypnagogic. Hypnagogic score and chronic slow motion render the study of the female sub- subversion of man's fetish of authority almost abstract. Close-ups apothesize objects into large looming figures. Lots of cold, hard, phallus imagery in this one, which Ron Silver embodies in his proto-Patrick Bateman performance. This film's treatment of abuse and assault deserves further examination. So it's yeah. a lot of big words. <laughs> a lot of big words. Um, Patrick Bateman, of course, Christian Bale's character in American Psycho, uh, he does feel like early version of that Wall Street living, heightened psycho masculinity mm-hmm. character portrayal that we saw in in Ron Silver's character. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's a brilliant breakdown of the gender commentary. Yeah. In this movie. Right. But and she thought it was a perfect movie, which um yeah. which is fair enough. Yeah. I think that there's a lot to like in this movie. And I, I would classify it as a hidden gem, I'd say. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's fair. Not a hidden uh treasure. <laughs> a hit a single yeah. gem. <laughs> Maybe two or three. All right. Okay. Um, and this one is the thir- uh, third and final one we found on Letterboxd from user Dre Money. Uh, two and a half out of five stars. It's impossible to take Blue Steel seriously. I actually have a theory that 90% of the film doesn't take place in the real material world. This is a nightmare that a female police officer is having, except we never get to see her wake up. When approached with this attitude, this is mildly fun and bumpy, uh, and a bumpy little ride, directed by one of the top-tier action directors of the last 30 years, Catherine Bigelow. Nothing about this film seemed real or believable to me. The Jamie Lee Curtis character makes blunder after blunder throughout the picture. This is a nightmare about feeling powerless and inadequate in a man's world. Mm. That last sentence is a really good encapsulation. Yeah, that's another great one. Um, and I like that idea, actually, yeah. of viewing it as not not literal reality and more of a dreamscape right. or a it's, nightmarescape in that sense. Yeah, I mean, what this review is saying, if that was true, it would have the same meaning. But I think honestly, that that really would make it more believable, if it was just a dream. on a plot on a plot level. Yeah, on a plot. Yeah, especially with Ron Silver's character Eugene. Yeah. So um, another great one. That's a good pick. Uh, and moving on, we have a few reviews from uh, actual professional critics. <laughs> this is Brian Eggert from Deep Focus Review. Ultimately, Bigelow undoes her main character by bending the narrative to meet the demands of an overloaded gender contrast and genre critique often in unnaturally stuffed and downright absurd ways. The result is a film that functions better as an academic case study than a compelling thriller with behaviors that make sense on logical or emotional grounds. Hey, yeah, uh, that's also what I was kind of getting at with my review uh, of the movie. Uh, basically, just the narrative was too out there and outlandish, and it sort of undercut the, the hard-hittingness of the message. I mean, when, when you go to the movies, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit. But maybe this movie caused him to suspend his disbelief a little too much, um, which is uh, which is a fair review, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does he does say it is a, a valid academic case study. So he he agreed with what the film was saying. He didn't right. he didn't think it was poorly conveyed uh, message wise. So right. So that, so that's another one that's saying that it's just too much. It's just too overly dramatic. I th- yeah yeah that's what he was getting at. But so far not no no real critiques on the on the on the plot. 
or the, or the thematically Themat- yeah Th- yeah i i think most people are 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 actually impressed with what this movie was able to accomplish mm-hmm. um thematically but the main criticism is uh is how the plot was handled right and whether it was too outlandish mm-hmm. that's that seems like a, the general consensus yeah. some people were able to look past that element and some people were not i think i was slightly in the middle but leaning towards not being able to look but look past it right yeah that's that that's interesting that, that, that also i feel like like let's say somebody watches this movie who has no idea about anything that that woman might go through they might have a much harder time suspending their belief than say a woman or someone who knows what women may go through so some people might think this is completely outlandish but let's say a woman watches this and finds it you know, obviously a little outlandish, but not more true to life. More true than to, others yeah. would. Yeah, depending on on who you are, and, and the patriarchy stand. is hard to believe. Uh-huh. If you're saying this is totally ridiculous, maybe take a look at. So is sexism. The base. Of- so is sexism. Um, and the final review. Uh, this is a, a I think an excerpt from the New York Times review written by uh, Janet Maslin, who gave it three out of five stars. Um, which I think is where I'm at with this film. And uh, she th- says that Jamie Lee Curtis makes Megan so appealing and real that the film holds together even when it has no reason to. So another criticism that the plot isn't totally right. as tight as it should be, yeah. um, but yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis makes it work, and I think Impressing. she definitely does. Yeah. Yeah, no, she was great. Now it's time for our words of the week. Where's the week time, guys? Where we pick around five words that begin with the letter of the week and and we think describes the film. So do you want to go first? Sure thing. I think I got some pretty good ones today. Um, Let's start with a little bit simple blood. <laughs> Makes sense. Uh, because of all the blood that the bloodshed in this movie. Right. Um, yeah. Nice. Totally makes sense. Uh. <laughs> I'm going to go with bombastic because it's just so over the top and crazy. That's a clever one. I like that. Next one, let's go with number two, uh, bravery, because of Jamie Lee Curtis's character's relentless insistence to continue going after this guy uh, and not not uh, not not giving in to the, the whims of, of a corrupt system in this film. So for that... And uh, the bravery of all the women that are still dealing with uh, the impacts of misogyny in our society today. Nice. That's a good one. My next word is uh, bumpy, because I feel like uh, at every turn, there's a new insane plot point where everything just goes off the rails again, and there's never any smooth sailing, plot-wise. I'm going to do this one. Um, Badge. Because she's a police officer. All right. I'm going to go for an equally as deep one, blue, because blue steel. Awesome. My next one is going to be, so this this will be my fourth one, blank. Uh, Not only because of the phrase point blank and the uh, amount of people that were shot point blank in this movie, but also the blankness of uh, Ron Silver's sociopath in his facial expressions 
and nice. his yeah and his uh his morality yeah i like it i'm gonna say bold because there's no uh subtlety here in any of the action scenes and the, the boldness of megan the right character. true yeah in standing up to evil yeah and the boldness of Catherine Bigelow in making uh, such a clearly um, strong politically uh, motivated yeah, politically film. Mo- yeah, politically motivated film. Uh, and my final word is going to be broken. Um, not only because of the characters in this movie, particularly uh, Megan and obviously Eugene, who are broken and, uh, emotionally and uh, in Eugene's case, mentally broken. Uh, also, the broken system and society that that uh, Megan's character is dealing with. Definitely. My last word is belligerent because not only is the whole tone of this movie aggressive, but obviously Eugene, the villain, is extremely hostile. And In his attempts to gaslight Megan throughout the movie. Right. Yeah. So those were our thoughts on Blue Steel. Uh, we both enjoyed it. Definitely check it out, guys, if you're interested in in that kind of film. Yeah, and Catherine Bigelow in general, I've heard is is good. So I'll definitely be watching yeah more of her films in the future. Definitely piqued our interest in terms of checking out more of her filmography. Yeah, which is part of the point of this podcast. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks, guys.